It is Wednesday, September 7th. You are watching Market Call. That's MKT Call. I am Dan Nathan. I am joined by Carter Braxton Worth of Worth Charting. Guy Adami is off today. You will see him back here tomorrow in just a few minutes. And you know it. It's Wednesday. We'll be joined by Tom Sosnoff. He is the founder and CEO of Tasty Trade. Today's episode of Market Call is brought to you by FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by Tomorrow and Tasty Trade, empowering the individual investor through content, technology, and know-how. And of course, we are powered, as always, by Open Exchange. Carter, welcome. Thanks for doing some heavy lifting here today on Wednesday. How are you, bud? I'm good. So it's, it's back to school day, right? The guy is doing it. The truth is, we're all learning, right? It's back to school every day. Well, That's the beauty of the market. It's always teaching us something. I think he would tell you he gets schooled by the market every well, day. And all right. So let, let, listen, there's a lot going on here. I'm out at a conference in, in LA. It's a tech conference. And it's interesting because, you know, a lot of big tech luminaries are here. Andy Jazzy, the CEO of Amazon, speaking later today. Last night, Sundar Bachai, the CEO of Alphabet. Later, Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple, is going to be here. And it's interesting when you think about just the last month or so that we've had in the markets, you know, we had that, you know, pretty precipitous drop since mid August here. Markets trying to find its footing. And it's just interesting when you look at some of the headlines. You know, this one caught my eye. You know, the big shorts, Michael Burry hints that we are in the middle of a market bubble popping akin to 08. No, oh, oh, he tweeted that, you know, SPACs and, and crypto and meme stocks and everything have crashed. And then he kind of hinted to 00 and 08. And, you know, what's going to happen here in 2022? You and I are going to look at the charts in a second here. And then Goldman strategist, this one was interesting. Doug Cass brought this to my attention here. These strategists did an absolute about face. He said they wrote a 68 page report. And I know you're going to have plenty to say about that. And I'm sure Mr. Sosnoff does too about how we have not made a decisive low in the market. And then our friend Mike Wilson over there at Morgan Stanley, he thinks that we are going to be in for a new low in the fourth quarter. I agree with him. Just real quickly here, you know, you drew the lines. This was going back a few weeks in mid-August, that downtrend in the S&P 500 Carter. And now you can draw a little uptrend, right? Off of those June lows connected to the July lows, the low that we just made yesterday. It seems like a pretty precarious technical spot in the S&P 500. What are you thinking right here? Right. So we actually under, it's, well, you have two trend lines. Of course, you have the trend line since the peak. Yep. Downtrend. Yep. That's well-defined. And then we have, that's an intermediate, right? That's yep. eight, nine, 10 months. Then you have the minor trend line, which is since the low. You see it there. And we're, we're working into sort of what you'd call the apex of that formation, which is to say, you can't be range-bound too long. At some point, you go in a major direction, right? And so we're we're vacillating. We're we're giving back the gains of the bounce, but we're not anywhere near the lows. And you have something, Reverend. The bears are sort of refortified, saying, "Wow, look at this! See, it's it's give the bulls are saying, yeah, what do you mean? All we did was give back a part of the bounce, and this is where it all sets up again. This is the right hand shoulder of a massive head and shoulders bottom, and we're going to take off into year end. All of it's valid. What we do know, though, right, is that." There is still, in principle, on a longer basis, more risk to the downside than there is upside potential. Yeah. And when you back that chart out a little bit, obviously that downtrend is is very important there. But, you know, I just drew like a kind of 
pocket of support. And for me, it's actually really a target level of kind of where I think the multiple of the S&P should be and what I think earnings are going to be for this year and what we're going to start to see to the downside. And again, you put a 16, 17 multiple on what I think are going to be flat earnings for this year. And I think we're going to start to see some meaningful downgrades to the balance of the year for earnings. Now, I get it. A lot of investors, a lot of strategists are going to start valuing the market on what next year's earnings are going to be. But I think those, for a whole host of reasons, and we'll talk about them as we look at some of the individual securities or markets, are going to weigh on S&P earnings. But when you think about this chart here, 3,400 was the pre-pandemic high in the S&P 500. You see that kind of 3,400, 3,650 level. You know, if we were to rally a few percent, maybe even we get back to that downtrend and fail there. I mean, to me, I just think if a lot of macro things start to materialize, I think we're going to be retesting those June lows. And then maybe we get into that sort of support pocket, if you will. Thoughts on the longer term? Right. So citing the pre- COVID high before yeah. the sell-off is an important reference in, in that there are many stocks that have gone down to that level and then much more, right? So we have that circumstance. Many stocks that have gone down but are nowhere near that level, i.e. the S&P. But if you were to look at the MSCI All Country World Index, which just to put it in context, is about $55 trillion in AUM or assets or capital or value versus the S&P at $32 trillion. 55 versus 32, it actually touched down to its pre-COVID high. Yeah. And so what's interesting now is that that's at risk of undercutting its pre-COVID high, and the S&P would be at risk of getting down to it. Yeah. So you just mentioned 70 trillion all world, but look at this one. This is Apple. You had a great call a couple of weeks ago. The stock was 174. You said, sell it. I think you said, sell it again here. You know, right now as we're speaking, they have their big iPhone 14 event going on. And again, you know, the stock sold off into it. Oftentimes in years past, it's kind of rallied into it. It had that sharp rally though, off the June lows of nearly 35%. And again, if you go back and you look at the, uh, the high made last year, and then the high made earlier this year in the spring, you know, we didn't even get back there in August. We did go a long, long way here, but here we go. We come back, I don't know, 13, 14% or something like that here. And we're below your 150 day moving average. Is it safe to say, and again, maybe this is too simplistic, but if Apple were to kind of get on its horse a little bit and get back above 160 or so, you know, the market that holds that the S&P, it's seven and a half percent or so of the S&P. 500, 13.5% of the NASDAQ wondered, then it holds. If not, you know, I, I mean, I really feel like it has the potential to drag the market down. Thoughts on Apple here after making that very good short call? Well, you're kind to remember a good one. I've got duds. Uh, we all do. The, I think the, it's important to say this. We're all wanting to find something that's actionable. Wow, yeah. this is a moment where I could catch a breakout. I could catch it for a bounce, whatever the circumstance might be. After a stock moves 35% off of its low, which it did, and which is double the performance of the S&P, and then drops 12.8%, which it has, it's just not a big hand here. It's it's 45-55, 55-45. So that if the big hands are 80-20, 70-30, do you really press a short here down 12.8%? I don't think so. Do you buy it because it's down 12.8%? I don't think so. <laughs> it probably is where it belongs. There will be intel, information, data, both specific to the company and to the market and to the economy that will come along and inform the chart of Apple. But right here and now, it's probably not a great trade directionally either way. 
Yeah, no, that makes sense. As you would say, a pair of twos. Let's rip through rates here because, again, you know, the stock market started to turn lower when I think investors and strategists and economists became, you know, I guess aware of the fact that the Fed wasn't going to kind of fall into this false narrative of a pivot sometime later this year as far as getting a bit easier in their inflation fighting stance here. Look at the 10 year yield. It bounced off that 200 day moving average. I think both you and I had kind of spied what looked like possibly a head and shoulder. Maybe that right shoulder gets a little long in the tooth here. But again, three and a half percent was that prior high. I just want to bring it out longer term here. It's a 20 year chart and you see on a log basis, Carter, you know, you see where we are. We've come a long way back towards this kind of 340 level or so. Thoughts on on the 10-year yields. And again, people can talk about whatever correlations they want. It's pretty clear that when the Fed basically suggested and now in the New York or the Wall Street Journal this morning is suggesting that it's going to be 75 at this meeting basis point increase next week or so I think maybe in two weeks that we're, we're basically anticipating that is that the thing that maybe we could see rates come off if we finally get that 75 basis point hike at the September meeting in two weeks I mean yeah I'm in the camp that that you buy bonds here right yeah. the rates the 10-year yield is basically not above its June peak at three five even the two-year is where they have the ability to act, they have no control over the 10-year course, is at its June peak. You would think it would be much higher based on all the intel and chatter from the Fed. My hunch is that everyone's crowding into one side here and one should be buying a TLT or a TY1. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to hit that a little bit later in the show, my view on that and how I'm going to be playing it in the not so distant future. But the other one that people are crowding into is the US dollar trade. And you see this, what's going on versus the euro versus the yen versus the pound. And so if you look at the Dixie, which is a half the euro, and we know why the euro has been so weak here. We bounced off that uptrend. It's a runaway breakout here. If you look at the 20 year, we're making 20 year highs versus the euro here. Thoughts on the dollar. And one of the things that the dollar is really important to me, especially as we get into the last few weeks of Q3 is I think we're going to start seeing a lot of multinationals probably pre-announce earnings, just obviously the impact of a strong dollar, but also the weakness in Europe, you know, continued lockdowns in China. And this is all going to weigh on earnings. And we're going to put all this together again. This comes back to my view on the broad markets, but thoughts on the dollar here. And if we're likely to see a pullback to this uptrend in the not so distant future. Right. So if we go back to that short-term chart with you, sequencing is important, right? And so you go on up moves that then are punctuated, characterized, defined by counter trends, sell-off, dips. And this is a very clear sequence, right? If one's eyes don't see that, we can all see it. Go to the ophthalmologist and get them checked out. Point is, is it a little far above the trend? Is this about where a dip occurs? I would think so. So the thinking here, independent that it's a very bullish chart, it's up and to the right, it's robust, it's strong, but it's too far, too fast, hour over hour, day over day. Yep. All right. Less than bullish chart here. And we've been looking at this one for a while. Tom was on the other side of this trade. We had a little bit of a false breakout of that downtrend. It's crude oil here and also just kind of broke below those November highs. And that was also the earlier this year breakout level. So contending with what I think is a big technical level, we know a lot of commodity traders tend to to trade very technically. Thoughts here on crude, because again, you know, if this is a reflection of weaker global growth, I mean, who knows how far this can go? And I get it. There's a lot of supply demand issues, a lot of geopolitical things going on here. Thoughts on crude is just a quick update. Yeah. My thinking is we're exact equal and opposite moment when everyone loved it. It's time to sell Everyone hates crude now. They're all bearish. They think it's going much lower. 
And I think you step in and you buy it. Yeah. So the last chart I'm just going to hit here is this is like a 20 year or actually it's a 15 year chart of crude versus the the U.S. dollar here. And one of the things I think is so interesting is go to the middle part of this back in 2013, 14, when the Fed was coming off of ZERP, coming out of QE, right, with a taper. Remember the taper tantrum? Rates started a rally. The dollar started a rally and crude lost 65 percent of its value. We also had a handful of growth scares globally. So this one's really interesting to me because over the last, call it, year and a half, we saw the dollar and crude both go the same direction. We're starting to see them diverge a little bit. So this is a relationship that I find kind of interesting for a whole host of macro reasons. But here, Carter, take a breather, take a breath, grab a drink. We'll see you back in a couple minutes. I got to bring in Tom Sosnoff. He is the CEO and founder of Tasty Trade. Tom, welcome. Thank you for being so patient here, bud. Hey, thanks for having me. All right. Now, I know that you don't spend a lot of time looking at charts, okay? And I know that you like to think a little <laughs> bit about investor sentiment because you like to hear what people are doing based on charts and based on correlations that they think matter and all that sort of stuff. But talk to me a little bit about the macro because I know that you have a very brilliant macro mind, okay? But you like to look at individual securities and how you might kind of play off of some unusual sentiment that might exist or some false narratives or that sort of thing. So let's talk a little bit about the markets, kind of where we are and how you're thinking about them. And we can go through a little of these. I know you love to trade rates. I know you love to trade commodities. I know that you always think vol is pricing too much of a move in the equity indices. What are your thoughts here right now? Well, you covered a lot there, but so getting back to the original thought, yeah. I am not technical at all. Don't, I haven't looked at a chart basically in 40 years. I am not fundamental at all. I couldn't give a crap about anything fundamental. I'm not macro at all, other than for purposes of articulation and for purposes of, you know, being able to, you know, talk the game that we play every day with everybody else. Yep. I believe the markets are so efficient that the game is just around you know, you play a game of strategy around efficiency. And that's why I don't pay attention to anything else. Like, I I really don't care what everybody says. I don't care what everybody's thinking. I think what you have to do in the market is you either find the strategy you want to go with, or you find the underlying you want to go with. And that doesn't mean, Dan, that I'm not directional. I'm yeah. very directional. I mean, I love playing, you know, market direction up. I like playing market direction down. I've basically been a directional trader now for, you know, a little over four decades. So it's not that I'm not directional. I like to think of myself as a strategist first, yeah. but I am very opinionated I'm, about different parts of the market. But how do you arrive, if you're not looking at fundamentals and you're not sure. looking at charts, how do you, do, like, so a couple of weeks ago, you so basically- It's all yeah. based on price. It's all based on, it's a subjective price extreme. If all you do now remember we are junkies so all we do is watch the market i've watched every tick in the s&p's for 40 years yeah like i mean i don't need to know when you start to think about it that way you're like you can make a subjective call i'll give you an example last night i was watching the market and at about nine o'clock last night central time the s&p's were down 22 or 23 and i'm just sitting there watching them like you know this is the ugliest tape action I've seen in a long time last night. And so I'm like sitting there and I'm thinking, if I was going to put a position on right here, yeah. I'd be super bearish and I'd be selling S&Ps. But I know how hard it is to guess what this market's going to do. And of course, we're up, you know, 45 handles this morning. So it's so damn hard. I don't care how long you've been watching the market. Markets are so random. And what you think is going to happen generally doesn't. So what you really need to do 
is I play the role of a very consistent contrarian. And I think that's it. So like you guys were talking before about, you know, like the Euro and about crude oil and about all these different markets. I trade all of them. And, you know, some I'm on the same side as you. Some like, for example, in in the Euro, you know, our biggest position right now is short dollars. Of all positions, our biggest directional position is short dollars. In crude oil, I still think there's a lot of room to go on the downside. So I'm staying short crude oil. In the market, we are just flat out short premium here because I think the most interesting play is I want to be bearish, but there's far too many bears on the street. And I also think the scary thing about being bearish here is there is absolutely no outlier risk being priced into the market. So the fat tails of all the volatility curves right now and all the skew doesn't exist. There is nothing being bid up on the tails. And if we were crashing or if we were going into something that was really ugly, there would be out-of-the-money options being bid up on either side. Right. And yeah, there's, just, just, there's absolutely nothing. Just to take a step back for some of our sure. listeners or some of our viewers, when you talk about those fat tails or you talk about skew, usually you'll see that downside puts out of the money are in volatility terms a lot more expensive than out of the money calls, right? Because sure. and, and so that's a really important, like a lot of savvy traders like you, they'll use that as almost a sentiment kind of indicator, but also the opportunity to kind of take in premium, right? Just to kind of like to take the other side of that. And so what you're saying right now is the risk reward in that relationship is not telling you a whole heck of a lot. So what you just mentioned is pricing skew. And pricing skew is just the marketplace determining the, where the velocity of risk is. So in the index products, the velocity of risk is to the downside. So puts are more expensive. Yep. In commodities like natural gas and crude oil and things like that, the velocity of risk is to the upside. So the calls are priced more expensive. But what I'm talking about actually is something a little different. I'm talking about the market is very, we price everything because of the amount of money chasing price efficiency. We price all derivatives up to two standard deviations, which is inside of 95% of the time, almost freaking perfectly. It's just amazing. Once you get into that three standard deviation, which is that 1% or less of the time, it's almost unquantifiable. That those are the fat tails where you cannot, you can't put a number on it. So, like, you know, you have no way of quantifying something that's going to happen less than 1% of the time. And usually, if there was something really ugly in the works, or there was something really ugly about to happen, Dan, those would be bid up. And this year, this is the strangest bear market, because those tails have no premium at all. There's nobody buying all the -the out-of-the-money protection. For that reason alone, even though everybody's talking like they're a little bit bearish, I think that the pot odds which is essentially risk reward, basically how much are you willing to risk to make yep. X? I think the pot odds actually favor the upside and it's painful for me to say it, but I feel like because there's no outlier risk being priced into the market, the pot odds actually favor the upside. Yeah, but that could feel, you know, again, I think we could have had the same conversation in mid-June. Again, the markets were having that downside volatility, at least in the equity indices, because the uncertainty around the Fed and their kind of tightening sort of policy. So here we are right now, you know, and people forget in June, I mean, in about a week or so, the S&P sold off 10% in a straight line. Well, that's essentially what happened over the last two weeks. So one of the reasons why, again, and I know you get tons of questions from a lot of Tasty Trade viewers real time and everything. Let's 
throw that S&P chart up, that one-year chart again. I mean, to me, and, and again, I know you trade strikes, you trade futures. Whatever, whatever trade, it's fine. Yeah, sure. yeah, but you trade directionally. I mean, one of the most important inputs for me about where to set stops or where to kind of like choose strikes is based on technicals here. And so again, you know, I see what you've articulated, I see in this chart in a way is that, you know, the contrarian move right now would be to buy it at that sort of level and play for some sort of move. I just don't think we're going to get back through those August highs for a whole host of fundamental reasons, again, that you don't give a crap about, but to me, help inform my process. And I know that you are like that, uh, the way- That's the, the beauty. That, yeah, that's, the, yeah. that's the coolest thing about trading yeah. is that it doesn't matter yeah. what you use to get your engagement tools with. Yeah. Like however you become engaged for anybody, traders and everything else. But for me, because of the amount of marketplace efficiency there is, you just can't be successful long-term thinking that you're going to out-fundamental or out-technical yeah. or out-macro anybody else. I just don't think it's possible. It's just markets are too efficient for that. There's, there's, No matter how much longevity you have, there's not enough edge. Like You can't survive on a half a percent in edge or a 1% yeah. in edge or 2% edge. So long-term, you need something more than that. And I think that that's really what the, the key to successful trading is having something a little bit more, because we all know that that it takes time and you have to be right over, you have to have longevity in this business. So to have longevity, yeah. you have to stay small. That's cool. Yeah. But you need more than just like having a clear view of some macro picture, some fundamental picture. You need more than that. Well, it's it's interesting because I know that for years I've heard you talk about, you know, one of your your biggest and most important risk management tool is sizing of trade. So no yeah. one trade can kind of blow yeah. you up and kind of derail your process. But I wanted to, you know, I know this morning on Tasty Trade, you were talking a little bit about some opportunities that you see in some tech names. And I also see them. And I think you and I have talked about them a little bit over the course of the last few weeks. Some of these names that are down 70, 80% or so. But I yeah. wanted to give you, this just literally happened to me two, two hours ago. I was in a lift. I'm out here in LA. I was coming back from breakfast and I was on the phone with Amanda. And we we're kind of planning out what we we're going to talk about today. And we we're mentioning a bunch of tickers and this and that or whatever. So when I get off the phone with her, the lift driver says to me, Hey man, are you a trader? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, all right, you got to help me out here. I am gotten killed in crypto, in cannabis, in tech stocks or whatever. And he give me the numbers of what he's down. And he was on margin. He's like, what do I do? Do I sell it all now? And he's down, you know, 60 some percent. And so I keep hearing a lot of that from what I would say, I don't want to use the term, I guess, non-pros, if you will. And that's one of the reasons why, Tom, those people are not going to get bailed out. That is the lesson of 2008 and 09. It's the lesson of the early 2000s. And that's why I don't think we make a bottom until there's absolutely capitulation and we have not had that yet. So I'm just curious your thoughts on that anecdotal sort of point. I would say that we have not had what you would call classic, you know, price capitulation. We have had interesting volume capitulation over the last couple of mm -hmm. weeks on this down move. We finally got to about, we've been trading about 2000 cards a day. I'm sorry, 2 million cards a day in the, in the ES futures, which is really high volume from what we've seen over the course of most of 2022. So I think that part of it, and I don't know if you're going to see classic price capitulation like you saw maybe in 2020 or that you saw in 2008. But I think like getting back to the, if you want to talk about 
capitulation at all or 80, you know, high beta stocks have really are down 70, 80, 85%. Crypto's down, like everything that guy was talking about in Lyft, yeah. Lyft is down, you know, 75 or 80%. Uber's down, yeah. you know, 65 or 70%. I think that a lot of people bought into, into all the hype over the last, you know, 12 years. And it was hard to not to buy into that hype, especially if you're younger, you've never seen a bear market or anything like that. I'm not so sure it's a bad thing. Like, yeah. I think you're thinking that maybe we need capitulation or maybe we need some kind of an event to, you know, bottom out and blow everybody out. I'm not so sure that what people have just experienced isn't. And, and again, I'm not some crazy bull. I'm usually yeah. pretty bearish. I'm not so sure that what people are experiencing right now isn't super healthy. Yeah. And I do think that there are some buys on the tech side. I don't love the NASDAQ right here. Like I wouldn't close my eyes and buy it, but I do think there are buys on the tech side. And I think we talked about some, Hey, Hey, talking that Lyft driver. I like Lyft here. Yeah. I like Uber here. Actually. I, I, I bought, like both I, those stocks. I bought Lyft and zoom last week, but again, very small with the understanding. Yeah. That, sure. yeah you know, so, so that's what I'm doing. All right, listen, we will follow up on more of these and we'll get more specific on some of these names maybe next week, but Tom Sosnoff, I really appreciate your insights. Guy misses you. He said to say, what's up and we'll see you back <laughs> next week, man. So thank you, Take Tom, care, for joining us. All right, you guys Take go care. to tastytrade.com. Tom is on there all morning with bats. It is very, I think, think it's very insightful. These are guys who are actively trading and they are talking to you about what they are doing. And you can follow Tasty Trade at Tasty Trade on Twitter. All right, Carter, if you are back, sir, how are you? Thank you, bud. I appreciate it. I haven't gone anywhere. I'm here. All right. Well, listen, I just, you know, I I just want to, you know, it's kind of like that needy friend who doesn't like a a third wheel. You know what I mean? So I was just crying you out a little, buddy. All right. Let's talk about a few more names really quickly before we get out of here, because on Worth Charting, you just put a note out on the utility sector. And I think some of our market call viewers will recall a few weeks ago, I made a bearish bet on the XLU, the ETF that tracks utility sector. At the time, the ETF was trading 77 and a half. It got down to 74. I was buying September puts. I had more than a double. We updated it last week. I took them off here. Again, I was thinking that if we were really going to have a sharp sell-off, we're going to see correlations kind of go up higher. Well, it didn't come in as much as I'd like, and I took the trade-off. You're taking a different view now. Walk me through it, bud. Or a current view, meaning your view was great. It was timely. It sold off. And now, to my eye, it looks like we're going to move to a new high. So you can draw the lines this way. You can draw them That's a head and shoulders bottom down there. You can call this a a cup and handle. What it is, though, is an area of the market that's at or near 52-week highs. So you just ask yourself, is there any other sector that's even close to that? The answer, of course, is no. And the utility is up very firmly today. But here's the interesting thing. What does it say about rates? And again, the peak in the 10-year was June 14th, which corresponds to the low in the S&P. And it was the peak in the 10-year, two-year both. And neither is basically above that level. Utilities acting the way they're acting would suggest, if you want to make an inference, that rates really aren't going up, up in a way, which is uh, the consensus now. Yeah, no, and I think that's a, that's an important input there. And, you know, I just want to make... 
the point that, you know, when I made that bearish bet in the XLU via the puts, I was thinking about it from an option standpoint, the at the money options looked very cheap. So whatever your direction was, and we have a chart here of the 30 day at the money implied volatility, that is the price of options versus the white line, which is the realized how much the underlying has been moving. And if you look at it, they're very, they're very closely related there. And that just tells me that the, those people looking to define the risk and make directional bets that option prices are cheap. And I just want to say the ETF around 77 right here, if you look out to October expiration, which was a little more than a month from now, you know, the at the monies, you're looking at like four bucks there at the money straddle. And it's a, about, you know, two and a half percent in either direction. So if you're looking to do that. So to me, you know, again, I think some of these ETFs can be kind of hard to trade options around because they don't have the idiosyncratic risk of all their components, right? So they're going to kind of move less. So options are generally cheaper for that one. All right, let's look at another one, IYT, because I wanted to kind of break down from your technical view of the ETF that tracks the transports. I want to take one of the largest components and talk about that when you're done with your view here on the IYT. Sure. So what's important here, if you think about the chart you had to kick us off of the S&P, yeah. right? the S&P discussed, does it or does it not get back to its pre-COVID high? The transports already did that. Mm-hmm. You can see the red line and then have rallied to the downtrend. And now they're kind of stuck. But compared to utilities, this is the point. If one's in the pair business, I would rather be long utilities here and short transports. Yeah. Well, I, I just wanted to talk again. So, so you know, where you get the most bang for your buck, in my opinion, when trading options directionally is an in individual name. Okay. So if I look at the components of the IYT, I look at the number two component, which is UPS. We know that, again, you know, lots of things going on as it relates to global growth and, and you know, supply chains and energy prices and China lockdown and a war in Europe. But I think transports are a really interesting topic of conversation. You think of FedEx was just down graded yesterday. But if you look at this UPS chart, it's still well off its 52-week lows. When you look at your IYT, right, it's very near or, you know, it's kind of close to getting back to those 52-week lows. And I look at this name and I say to myself, well, it's a bit expensive to some of its peers. I have a one-year chart. Again, you might say that line is kind of arbitrary here, you know, just below where it's trading at 190. But if you back it out and you look at this kind of five-year Carter, you know, you say to yourself, okay, you know, is there room down to that kind of 170 level or so where there is pretty decent support going down to let's call it 160, maybe. I'm just curious your thoughts on this technical setup. Again, I'm assuming that you're bearish on this if you're bearish on the IYT, as this is the number two component in the ETF. That's right. And and again, as it relates to utilities, not that they have to be paired, but it's more of a pair of twos here to be fair, right? UPS than anything else. It's not some great moment. My bias would be to the downside. Okay. And, and and then one of the things I would just say is that if you're a fundamental trader and you use technicals as inputs and you like to express directional views with options, I mean, I would rather play this with UPS with the idea that maybe we have a pre-announcement in the coming weeks here. I'd look out to October expiration. If I was looking to define my risk, this is a trade that I would consider if I was bearish on UPS here. When the stock was trading around 194, I'd look to the October 190, 170 put spread for about $4, buying one of the October 190 puts at about five and a half dollars selling one of the October 170 puts at about one and a half dollars. Again, your max premium outlay is around four bucks. You have profits up to $16 between 186. That is your 
downside. That is the long put strike less the put premium, uh, the premium for the spread, the $4. And you can make up to 16 between 186 and 170 with a max gain of 16 below 170. You have losses of up to $4 between 186 and 190, the max loss of four above 190. So what I like here, this trade risk about 2% of the stock price. It breaks even only a down, down about 4% as a max gain of about 8% if the stock's down 12% in a little more than a month. And again, as when I look to do directional long premium trades in individual names, I like to use a mental stop, about 50% of the premium that I spent. And then if I had like a double on this thing, if this spread was worth about $8, it would put squarely in the middle of this spread. I might look to take half off and play with the house's money on the other half. So that's one way I would play a bearish view in the IYT. But Carter, I get it. You're saying relative to the XLU. You'd be short this one. Listen, man, I appreciate you coming in and updating us on your views on the S&P, on Apple, on XLU, on IYT, on rates, on everything. We covered a lot of ground here today. So thank you very much. You guys can get more of Carter's fine work at worthcharting.com. So thanks very much, Carter Braxton Worth. And thank you, of course, to Fact Set and Tasty Trade on Wednesdays. Thank you very much, Tom Sosnoff, for being here. And of course, Open Exchange for powering this. Guy and I will be back tomorrow at 1 p.m. with Liz Young from SoFi. So we'll see you then. Thanks, Carter. Appreciate it, bud. Bye. Bye. All right, thanks. Thanks. 